Because yeah. that, that's it, isn't it? That first album takes you three years, yeah. you know, yeah. to get together. All your time up until yeah. that point, everything. And then it's like, then you're, you're on, the, on the treadmill and it's like, yeah. and then, then you've got to, and, then, and if you're incredibly successful, it, it, you're, you're fucked because you've got to be, do something as good as that, if not better, in like yeah. a millionth of the time. Hi, this is Lowell Tolhurst, co-founder of The Cure. This is Budgie, co-founder of The Creatures, drummer with The Slits, and Susie and the Banshees. Welcome to Curious Creatures. Life after punk. You may think you know the territory, but we, we drew, drew the map. Ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome Horace Panther to the show, to Curious Creatures. Yeah. <laughs> How are you doing, gentlemen? What's happening? We're all looking well. I mean, here we are. Yeah. Compost Mentos. We can even put a sentence together. It's quite amazing, really. Yeah. Um, you, you did, the specials did a, a, a new album. When was that now? It, it came out beginning of September. And, um, and it, it didn't have any scar on it at all. It was really well received, as far yeah. as I remember. Yeah. Everybody's like, "But you doing it for like just because you fancied doing it?" You just thought, "Hey, we're talking to each other. We should do something." Well, the, the lockdown happened. We were going to make a reggae rap album. We thought, "Oh no, let, let's do what people expect of the specials." And, and let, but um, then the lockdown happened. So, so Terry needs to. He can't write at home. He has to leave basically the country, you know, and go, he, there's a place in Paris, a uh, little hotel that he sort of like. Um, <laughs> I love that. And, and then, and he's got some buddies in New York. No, he has to sort of remove himself from the country to sort of, to have no distractions, no family. Can I just write that one down, Horace? I'm just going to write it down so I can yeah. tell my wife, listen, I can't yeah. do any I writing until I go to Paris. <laughs> yeah. Bratislava to, to practice, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So that sort of put the album on, on hold. There's no way we can do that. And Limval, you know, had to go back to America and all this. Right. He, he lives here in California, right? He lives in Seattle. Yeah. Uh, he lives in... Oh, uh, right. So he's moved a bit it, further. It, yeah. Harbor. It's 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 a ways from, from, from Seattle, yeah. uh, out in the woods, apparently. But um, so it's like we couldn't do this album. So what are we going to do? So there was that gap in between lockdowns that we had. So Limbal came over and Terry said, let's do a covers album. Uh, that's what bands do, isn't it? When they run out of ideas, they do a covers album. Um, so, but, but we said, let's do an album of, of cover of, um, of protest songs. Right. Um, right. So, so, but like, let's not do, you know, your usual suspects. Uh, let, let's get a bit obscure and see what we come up with. So, but it was a project and it was a great excuse to get everybody back in the studio again. And, and we did it, and we, we, the hardest part about doing the album was choosing what songs to do. Um, we did the whole thing in six weeks. We recorded it in four weeks, and it was mixed in two. And boof, there you go. So that's, yeah. And then we went on tour, which was wonderful. It was really, and it was one of the first tours to go out um, since the lockdown, which was fantastic. I think us and Elbow, we were doing the same sort of circuit, yeah. which was great. Um, Barrowlands in Glasgow, which I'm sure you both played Barrowlands in Glasgow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bonkers at the best of times. It yeah, was yeah. the first show that they had uh, in Barrowlands since it opened, and it was 
utterly mental. <laughs> they're, they're probably still there, aren't they? Yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah. it, it was absolutely fantastic. That's that's my memory. When anybody says to me, "Oh, yeah, you played with the specials back in the day," and I was like, "Yeah." The thing I remember is that first festival we did together and it was like bonkers out the front, you know, and it was such a good energy. I mean, it was it was brilliant. It was like punk on steroids, but with with like some kind of swing. There was some kind of rhythm going on. It wasn't just, you know, one, two, three, four. It was it was it was great, you know. So what what do you remember about those years? That show, that was at the Bilson Festival. And it yes. It was 1979. Yeah. That was one of the, I think, on, I can honestly say that was the best special show ever for me. Yeah, I'll agree with you. I'll agree with you with that, that, yeah. Because we we just signed our record deal. Um, we hadn't even bought new equipment. This was all the, the, the gear that we'd, like, stolen or hand-built or borrowed you know, um, to yeah. do all our club shows and all this kind of stuff. And we took it, put it in a van, and it got yeah. driven over to Belgium. And um, yeah. and we didn't know what the fuck was. I mean, we we'd done our club shows. We knew we were good. And we and there was there was you guys. There was Bram Tchaikovsky. Hmm? Yes. Um, yes. Wow. The, um, <laughs> us lot, the Pretenders, the yeah. Police, and ACDC, yeah. and and uh, you guys played. Yeah, and then Branchowski, Bram, whatever played, and then yeah. while we set up, um, I think we had roadies, but they were just Neville's mates, and they weren't particularly good. <laughs> Always. But then we, um, we 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 went on and just fucking destroyed the place, and it was amazing. Yeah. It was because it, nobody had heard of us apart from a couple of kids who'd come all the way from Coventry um, to, to 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 see us, and we just went on there and just did what we did, and and there there was this big chain link fence in that 12 yes. foot in front of the stage and it got right. ripped up and everyone yeah. charged into the lip of the stage and it was it was fucking fantastic and it, that it was that was the one gig that sort of made yeah. me think oh gosh what we're doing is really really <laughs> it was it was absolutely spectacular yeah. because it was it was joyous it was like a joyous riot yeah. That's the way I think about yeah. it. It was like, it was like everything you really like when you're young about music, you know, like the, it had that power. Yeah. Uh, and just to see, you know, Neville running backwards and forwards across the stage constantly, you know, and then Roddy coming out now and again and stuff. Yeah. <clears throat> and in the middle of the storm, Terry just standing there and you, yourself anchoring yeah. it. It was, it was great. It was great. That's, this is life, life-changing moment. This is. <laughs> it was it, honestly, it, yeah. it, honestly, budget. It was. It, it was. Uh, in a way, every other gig we did, uh, uh, we did after that. As far as I was concerned, it was like, well, was that as good as Bills? You know, honestly, <laughs> that that was, and that was before we'd recorded our, our first album and, and did the two-tone tour and all that. And, and, and it had even discovered who Madness were. Or right. it, it, that's that's obviously right. the gig that people say, yeah, but I saw them at that gig. Oh, well, it was yeah. never as good again. Well, <laughs> it's kind of like the people that always said, oh, yeah, yeah, I was at the uh, the Pistols at the 100 Club. And if everybody who was, saw the Pistols at the 100 Club was there, there would have been 20,000 people there. But, you know. Same vibe when the Clash and the Sex Pistols played at the Lanch, you know, in, in yeah. 1970, whenever it was, seven. Yeah. I, I had a gig. I was in a show band at the time, and um, I had a gig on that evening. 
um, and I was I walked past the, the 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 venue. It was the Lancaster Polytechnic where I used to study, and um, and they were sort of setting it setting up, and with all the clash had their their fluorescent pink equipment and all that sort yes, of stuff. Yes. Right, okay. And, and I went out. Had no equipment, right? <laughs> I didn't see this stuff. But anyway, um, and um, and then I, I, I did my gig around the corner at the Smithfield, and then sort of with my guitar case walked back, and as they were sort of loading out and everything. What 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 tour games did the specials get up to? Did you have do you have like Monopoly on the go or? No, God, you're joking. No, because it, it became sort of factionalised quite early on. Because that was the specials. Um, mm, yeah. Oh, Horace, what are you doing reading a book? You know what I mean? Oh. No, everybody was 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 sort of made had their own little sort of um, little camp. Yeah, yeah. We we took our love of like things like Sabutio. Yeah, I remember playing Sibutio backstage with the Cult. Only there was yeah. early, you know, with um, Southern Death Cult. Yeah, which is kind of like not just making teams up backstage, yeah. and and Banshees were big games players, you know, Cluedo and Yahtzee, and yeah, because we never went out, you know, we just we just hung out in somebody's like flat. Usually the manager, right? Because none of us really had anywhere to go. As we started getting to do play the, you know, the Enormo domes on tour, we started playing the crew at football, which was not a great idea because you know we'd end up like smashing the ball into the side of these buildings and then have this huge build from the establishment to repaint the wall. We never, we never did that. We never did anything sort of, you know, recreationally together. Right. But we weren't mates. You know what I mean? Okay. There are two types of groups, aren't there? There's like the people who are mates and they want to be mates forever. And so they, they, they learn to play instruments together and, and off they went. Um, right. And there's the, the, the group where there's one guy who goes, oh, I have the master plan. And in order for me to realize it, I need the drummer, the bass player, the, the keyboard player, the, the whatever. And that was the specials. So everyone was kind of cherry picked for their musical ability and all that. Right. Uh, but all that, the, 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 the people skill stuff came, came later or didn't come at all. You know, it right. was weird. And I always think that although we, in 1979, when we were a gang, when we were all facing the same direction and we had something to prove, we, we were unstoppable. But then once we started getting money, you know, but we were all different. There was the class thing, and not a lot of people go on about the class thing in the specials. But me, Brad and Jerry all had fine art degrees. Right. You know, we had BAs, whether whether we told anybody or not, you know. Um, Neville and Linvale both came to England on the boat from Jamaica, yeah. Yeah. you know, in, in the 60s. And Terry and Roddy were the children of the archetypal, you know, Coventry working class who worked in, uh, I think Terry's dad worked at Courtauld and Terry and Roddy's dad worked at the Jag. You know, it's like typical, right. you know, motor industry. So there was that, I didn't have a great deal. The only thing we had in common, um, really, was the music we played. So it was yeah. kind of weird. So we had to get to know one another while we were in the back of a transit going to, you know, Derby or somewhere. That's wow. Weird. And, and, it, and, it, and it, it was strange. So because I, I honestly think that I, I didn't really have that many conversations with Terry Hall. 
during, you know, in the original. In, but, but you didn't have to because there were seven of us. So, you know what I mean? It wasn't like we were like, like you guys lot, where there was only three of you. Right. Right, well, you know, but there, there was yeah. tons of us, you know. Yeah, that's funny because that's totally opposite to my experience. Because you know, I, you know, Michael, Robert, yeah, we were all at school together, you know, and and so the band came out of that. So you're right, we learned how to play together, and uh, later on, you know, different people came in that we. We ran out of mates to put in the band, basically. Yeah, you, you yeah. employed musicians, yes. Yes, right. So we sort of started the reverse way round and then yeah. ended up the other way. Yeah, you know? yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. It's kind of funny. It's funny because now um, I'm really good friends with Limbaugh and I'm really good friends yeah. with Terry. You know what I mean? We don't, right. we don't talk every day. We don't talk every week. No. But we know that when we're together, that it's like, yeah, okay, I've got your back. And, and they've got mine. It's funny. Um, we we slag one another off quite quite a bit to one another. But if anybody else does, watch it, mate. You know that's my band. You know what I mean? It's weird, yeah, and that's yeah. that, that's evolved over over a long, long time. Morris, you you you. Saying like that, you'd get a show band. So, yes, so yeah. punk came along, and you'd you'd already cut some some time playing. The thing, with, the thing with the specials is that we knew how to play. Right. We you know, we were a couple of years older. I mean, Terry was an original punk. I mean, he he you know went to see the Sexes and the, the Sex Pistols and the, and the Clash, and, um, and and like and it was the the epiphany. Whereas I was walking up, walking past that gig to go to my my show band gig. Yeah, um, yeah, because yeah, we, we, we were a bit older, so we, we'd done our apprenticeship. You know, we played discos or working men's clubs and sort of really? you know, knew how, how it, it, it went on. But we were, I, I was just thrilled with the energy of it because I also remember um, a mate of mine getting the first MC5 album, you know, kick out the jams, motherfuckers, when I was still right. at school. And it's like, wow, that's good. The first pop concert I ever went to, which was in, in 1969, I was 15, and I went to the Royal Albert Hall and I saw Led Zeppelin. And it, it scared the shit out of me. I'd never heard anything so loud in my life. And I'd give, bear in mind, I, I, was, I was brought up in Kettering, Northamptonshire, you know, tiny little East Midlands market town, nothing ever happened in, in Kettering. But I got a train down to London and, and my mind was um, blown. It was great. So, but but yes, the the, the specials knew their stuff. Um, so it wasn't like we were sort of punching down or anything, you know, because the um, I was learning a new, a new musical style. I, I could play funk, soul, blues yeah. kind of stuff reasonably well. But then it's like now, listen to reggae, you know, where what 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 the how does it? I don't get that yeah. at all, you know, but, 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 you know, but then, you know, I, I learned to, but Linval and um, Desmond, Desmond Brown, who was the keyboard player and the selector, they would come around yeah. to my flat and give me reggae lessons. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was really funny. I had to, I, I had to wait a little bit. I, I kind of grew up on my slightly older friends down the street who had motorcycles and things. They, they were into Tamla Motown. Yeah. So yeah. I, you know, all the Motown Chartbusters albums always had these great covers. But I wasn't too into the music. But I, what I made my own was the reggae chartbusters albums, right? With the Simmer Ups and the Israelites, Desmond Decker, right? Um, yeah. 
uh, Lee Scratch Perry and the Upsetters. Um, but I never tried to play it. But it, it kind of was. It got rooted in there somewhere. Yeah, that yeah. I was aware of that as as as, as music. But uh, yes, again, I, but I, I never. Uh, I didn't know how to play. I didn't. I had problems playing the songs that I did like. I had problems playing the songs that I could play. But um, you know, so to actually take on this new style of music was a was yeah. really, was 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 a big deal. But very exciting, very interesting. But but uh, the, but actually playing it with the real black people who played it. You know what I mean? Because I was middle class art school kid. Linval Golding was the first black person who I ever met in my life, and actually sat down and talked to. And I was like, I must have been. I, this was after I left college, so I was like 25. You know, small middle, you know, uh, middle class market town in, in, you know. And I went to art school for Christ's sake, you know. So I, I didn't meet any, you know, hardly any people of colour until I, I met Linval. So it was a big deal to be actually in a group. With, with these people who were, you know, who, who were, you know, they were the real deal, that they, they knew how to play it, yeah. I think the only thing I had over anybody in Liverpool was because I'd been in like the, the little show band, I knew how to rehearse. I knew what, yes. what, what kind of time you had to put in. And so yeah. if I could, all I could do was like say, we got, and it seems that the people that made it were the ones that were able to put in time to rehearse. Mm. I think, Lord, you, you spent a long time as, formulating oh, yeah. the first yeah. cure songs right yeah we 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 were robert's parents built this extension on their house and the the idea was that they were going to have you know family get-togethers and parties and we just moved all of our gear into there we just like i put my drum kit in one night and then mick brought his amp and we stuck it in there and for three years we didn't leave that room like we were, we were, you know, they were like, can we, can we do Christmas in there now? And they were like, no, no, we've still got to work some songs out. And we, and we basically, after three years, we couldn't play still, but we could play our songs. We, we knew how to play the stuff that we had written. Yeah. 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 Um, you, you didn't have to be as good as Carlos Santana to, you no. know, before you got on a stage and, yeah. you, and you didn't need an enormous lighting room and and you could you sh I wish you'd have seen the band that Terry Hall was in um, when we were getting the specials together squad they were fucking amazing they were really good none of them could play but they right. just but they wanted to yeah and, right. and Terry was just this amazing uh, front man and sometimes yeah. and they always used to support us you know, when we were called the automatics or the hybrids or whatever, and um, yeah. and some, sometimes he would like turn his back on the crowd and sing facing the drummer and all this kind of stuff. And they were they were, they they probably had twenty minutes worth of material, but they were mesmeric. They were amazing, really. But that was it. It was great. And there were loads of bands like that. All of a sudden, the whole sort of Coventry just right. off, and it was was great. And and, you, and like four nights a week, you could see groups. In, in in pubs and some of them were great and some of them were rubbish but it didn't matter it just no, this no. scene sort of happened which just wasn't there um you know two years previous great it was really what good. was it is it because there was nothing else for anybody to do and it filled the gap i feel so i think so because i mean you remember the middle of the 70s in england was pretty dire yeah. i mean there was yeah. a lot of strikes going it was pretty miserable i mean discontent yes discontent for us, the band was a social thing as well because we were like, okay, rather than go down the pub and have to, you know, deal with the skinheads down the pub, 
we we just you know we we'd sit at Robert's house and make music, and that was it. So it was a social thing because there wasn't anything else to do. You know, yeah. music's just transcendental, isn't it? I mean, it well, in the incident, it transcends stuff. And I, yeah. I, I learned this sort of early on that playing music was the best. It was great. Yeah. You know, it, what a fantastic thing to do, and especially yeah. you know, because it, it, I, I was. So I ended. I started up, I suppose, as a pop music nut, listening to music and buying records and being a fan, and then sort of gradually getting to the, the fact where I could actually play the stuff. And, and yeah. wow, it was when I first learned to, to, you know, learned to play with other people. It was the greatest thing ever. Yeah. It, it was amazing. Yeah. It, was just- it certainly saved us, our souls, I think, in, yeah. in many ways. Yeah. And I do recall in Liverpool that there was a massive thing happened when the first Kraftwerk came, album came out. It was like Kraftwerk and Heroes and uh, The Idiot. So Trans Europe Express came out at the same time. And we were right. just being pulled all over the place. There was this like electronic beats yeah. and, and a kind of old rock, but given a new twist. And it was like anything seemed to be possible. And all that was going on at the same time as the people who couldn't even string a chord together. Mm. Right. And just jumping up on stage. And then you got something like Wire came along. Right. Who didn't put any right. lights on and, and, and refused to talk to anybody. And we're all done in 20 minutes. Yeah. And then like the Ramones came over and then Blondie and then Talking Heads. All these things came together at once it was in set intense like 77 there was a real juxtaposition because bowie put out low which definitely influenced us i mean you know like dennis davis drum sound i mean you know it's just genius right and the clash's first album was out so we had those two things yeah. going on you know with us and that and then we'd take something from the past as well like nick drake because it was very miserable you know but beautiful and uh, meld that together and that becomes who you are yes. right and so yeah. for us that was it you know we we had distilled all this stuff but couldn't really play it so the way we played it wrong became the way the cure sounded yeah i, I get it it's funny i was thinking about scar you know the other day and, and i was just in some of these american the new uh, american scar bands and like and they play it really fast yeah. you know you know, and I think, fucking how dreadful. But I uh, thinking back, you, I remember that uh, when the Scatterlights first heard the specials, ah, oh, fucking hell, they're playing it far too fast. You know, it's exactly the same. So basically, Horace Sharp let them get on with it because that's how they, that's how they're interpreting it. That that's how they're 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 playing their their music. Who, who am I to tell them what's right and, what, and what's wrong? But that's how it works, isn't it? Yeah. Was there an album that kind of changed your thinking? I don't know. It, it, I, playing Scar and Reggae did not come naturally um, no. to me. No, I, it was a – so um, I think I had the, um, the Garvey's Ghost, the Burning Spear. Yeah. I, I listened to that a lot. And, of course, that live uh, Bob Marley album. With with no woman right. on, which was great, but but uh, at the time I was into Little Feet, you know, I was into rhythm sections, you know, the Meters and all this kind of stuff, and really sort of funky stuff. Headhunters by Herbie Hancock, you know, amazing, right. really yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
And so I, I was into like that sort of funk dance music and stuff. And then, um, so it wasn't yeah. that much of it. But no, that I think in terms of reggae, it was probably um, that live Bob Marley album. There, there was a 12-inch, there was a Revolutionaires, Revolutionaries 12-inch, which was like heartache, bellyache, toothache, and something else I can't remember. <laughs> um, I, I didn't like The Clash. When, when, when we, we first played with them, it scared the shit out of me. I was like, this is really violent and this is horrible. And it reminded me of football matches. Um, yeah. But then after we played with them for like a couple of three weeks, it's like, wow, this is really exciting. Um, I, I, can do, I can deal with this. So it was, it was, weird. It was weird. I was not a punk from the, from, the first, from the off. You know what I mean? I was into soul, funk, whatever, you know. And then... Right move my way into into all that so i wouldn't say there was one album that um, no did it my favorite album of all time is exile on main street by the rolling stones i mean you know i listen i listen like religiously to brown sugar um the sticky fingers right. sticky yeah. fingers album. i don't know what i think it might have been the, the the warhol cover with a zip yeah <laughs> Yeah. Which ruined everything. Yes, I was yeah. up all the other albums you had. You know, so, yeah. I was really proud of it. You know, I loved Alice Cooper's Schools album. Yeah, I could, I could understand the music. I could hear the drums and what they were doing. I thought I can figure out what they're doing. Yeah, there was something. There was like a way in. There's a little way in, and then there was a simplicity of Mark Bolan and T Rex, which was like yeah. pop music. Yeah. yeah. That's another album that we bonded over. Electric Warrior. Electric Warrior you know, was the, one that Susie yeah. brought out every yeah. every party you know yeah. so i i knew that we come from the, we were the same age we came up at right. the same time but those couple of years have really the difference in our ages makes such a big difference at that moment in time right yeah you're right that sort of you know four or so years has a real difference between you know because I, I don't know i grew up listening to the pirate radio stations you know in 1964 65 60. yeah underneath yeah. the <laughs> underneath the blanket wherever it was you had on your bed it was a big deal i went, I went to the bbc and i was interviewed by johnny walker on his radio yeah. too thick i was thrilled because right. he was one of the, the big deals on, on radio Carolina. So what's what's uh, what's what's uh, life like now in the, for, for for Horace Panther? I have very little to complain about. I'm worried about being nearer seventy than I am sixty-five, um, and I'm a rock star. I mean, how fucking ridiculous is that? <laughs> um, the, the specials um, are still going. I'm playing with a Zydeco and Cajun band that I've met. Oh, wow, some people from Derby. Wow. That is fantastic. It's so good because it's like it's country, it's blues, it's really funky. And I've got a couple of gigs with them um, stretching into next year. I'm playing a, a, a blues high octane power trio thing, and I'm, and I'm still painting pictures as well. Good, which is good fun. Have you always been painting? It was always the thing, you know. Whenever you know, we being the special sort of fabulous excuse to go and visit. You know, travel the world and see some of the world's great art galleries. So it was it was always a thing that, that I did. But then I was an art teacher. I became an art teacher. I taught in this special needs school. And um, right. from like 1998 to 2008, like 10 years more or less. Wow, and then they called me up. But, uh, but so art was always a, a, a big deal. Once we'd reformed, uh, I had, we had all this downtime. So I, I started painting sort of 
seriously, if you like, and had all these pictures. And one day my wife came in and says, well, I reckon we could sell these. And, and so it sort of started like that. So what was, um, what was that like? Was that like your sojourn? Like, you know, like um, Leonard Cohen became a, a Buddhist monk for 10 years, right? And then came back towards the end of his life and started, you know, doing music and stuff again. But for that 10 years, he was just like completely removed from it all. So when you were doing the art, were you doing any music or were you just like... Yeah, I've, I've, I've played, uh, you know, um, there's, there's this little uh, blues band that I've been working with. It doesn't do so much work at the moment, but we would play at least like once a fortnight in, in, in Coventry. And I had, um, wow. I worked with um, Neil Davis, the guitar player from The Selector. Um, we had a, yeah. a blues piece for a while. Um, which was really good. So, oh, crikey, yeah, I've always played. Uh, there, there hasn't been a, you know, it's not like, you know, the, the guitars are stuck away under under the bed or anything. No. Right. Yeah. Do you feel busier now? No. Oh, no. Not um, when the specials are, but I think that's good because back in the day, I don't know about you guys, but it's like when you're hot, you're hot. Whether you whether yeah. you're cold, you know whether you don't want to or not, and it's it's like that, yeah. that was horrendous. That I think that was the the demise of the specials was like a, a punishing with a capital P. We never works, stopped, right? Did you? You never stopped. No, no, and, and, and until you split up, you know, it's like yeah. a German fighter pilot in the Second World. <laughs> you never yeah. had time off. Why, you, you why, why did nobody ever say, guys, take a break? Yeah. Take a month off. Take, yeah, we had the first five years. We were just like non-stop yeah. album to yeah. album to yeah. album to, and no wonder we were at each other's throats by the end of it. You know? Yeah, uh, the course of the I don't know, but I think our record company because we we were so successful so so quickly, and our, our manager was like, "Oh shit, what's what's all this about?" And the record company were going, "Oh great, fantastic, next album, right? Six weeks time, okay, great, fantastic." <laughs> You know, Japan, yeah. and, and and it's like, whoa, hang on, you know, because that, that's it, isn't it? That first album takes you three years, yeah. you know, yeah. all your yeah. time up until that point. Everything. And then it's like then you're you're on the on the treadmill, and it's like, yeah. and then then you've got to, and and if you're incredibly successful, it, it, you're, you're fucked because you've got to be do something as good as that, if not better, in like yeah. a millionth of the time. So it, it was yeah. just dreadful. Plus, we, we all change because when we were broke and had something in common, then you become, you know, then, then you get money and start taking the wrong kind of drugs and drinking too much and blah, blah, blah. I'm, I'm needing, right. needing more money. Yeah. And then going, how much are you getting? I, don't, yeah. <laughs> I always remember the, the accountants' meetings. Oh, <laughs> yeah. We, you know, like band accountants' meetings. Like, what? <laughs> Like, yeah. where have we got to? And they go like, like, okay, now he's going to want a Rolls Royce, but you're happy with a bicycle. But let me tell you guys, down the road, yeah, all right. the, the story, you know, no, no, wait, wait, he can have the Rolls Royce. He didn't have one anyway, but whoever he was. Yeah. I'm fine. I'd be fine with the bicycle until the day you stop. Yeah. Right. The one thing, the one thing I am grateful for, 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 for the Cure's first accountant, and I think he's, he's probably still their accountant today um very nice very nice man from uh, north london uh he said to me when i was about uh, I don't know, 22 well you're making money now so you might as well start a pension fund right <laughs> and i was like 
What do I need a bloody pension for? I'm 21. I'm never going to need a pension. You know, this is obviously going to continue forever. And I'm going to be making millions until, you know, why am I going to need a pension? And he went, trust me, you'll need it. And, you know, now I'm like, you know, I'm 62. Yeah, I'm very glad that he uh, suggested that at that particular point, you know. But, of course, back then you don't know anything about it all, you know. No, it's incredible, isn't it? You're immortal till you're 35, aren't you? And yeah, then, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. And then you think you think about it until you're fifty, and after fifty, yeah. fuck you know. Hang on. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I don't know if it's the same for you guys, but like, I didn't like turning fifty. I didn't like turning fifty because I thought to myself, some somebody said to me, "Oh yes, fifty, the youth of old age," and I thought, "You bastard! You told you said it to me." I said, "I can't say I'm a young guy anymore. That's it. It's gone. Fifty, you can't do it." But at sixty. I really, really liked 60 because 60, I thought, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter anymore. It's like, you know, I can just be who I want to be. It doesn't matter. It doesn't, you know, I know some things. I don't know everything, but it really doesn't matter. I felt this sense of liberation, you know. Was that yeah, the same yeah, for you? Yeah, that's, that's nice. Yeah, I'll, I'll that. yeah I, I'd like to say, you know, how are you, Horace? I have very little to complain about, to be honest. Yes. You know, yeah. right. apart from the knees and the well yeah the knees and your back but you know like we're, we're still compass mentor still got most of our marbles yeah. you know like life is good you know we're very grateful for a lot of things you know just like and it's mostly about relationships okay my, my, my cure anecdote, which was like when, when okay. we, the specials, we'd signed our deal and we, we did um, some festivals in Europe. And uh, the first thing we would ask is like, are the cure on the bill? And, and we find out that they were. We go, oh, great. Because you guys had a guitar tuner. You had a core, <laughs> a little core thing. It was about this oh, the stroboscopic one. No, 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 no. It was before all that. It was right. a, a tiny little thing. It was about the, the size. I don't know what it was the size of. Um, but it was a tiny little thing. Um, but we could plug our guitars in and get our because we didn't have. I don't know why we didn't have a guitar tuner, but you guys did. So it was really pleased. I was really pleased. Oh, great! We can borrow their guitar tuner. It was great. So you you pretty much saved our lives in that early '79 when we. And, were... and, and look at it! Look at it! Forty years later, here we are, yeah. best of mates. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's because you got the the guitar tuner. Yeah, it's all about that. Well, thank you for the memories and thank you for the updates. It's oh, well, I really enjoyed it. Thank you. It's good. This is a bit lovely. Thank you. Oh, lovely. Thank you. Oh, what a pleasure. Good night. Well, best take care. Good, good night. Here, here we have a question for me and you both, which is kind of a loaded question. I oh, think, loaded, with, loaded with loaded with what? Yes. Well, it can go on for hours and hours. This oh, one I see. Will. Well, okay. yes, we're, we're good at those. Joseph Balandran. 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 Joseph, greetings. And he's in California as well. Hi, um, Joseph. Kind of a double question for you both. Do you have a favorite song you loved performing live? And are there any songs you did not enjoy for a particular reason? Also, 
Is there an album you look back with the most fondness and one you were not so proud of the outcome? Joseph from California. I, I think those questions are um, open-ended, but they're also, um, they probably connect together. I mean, at least they do for me. But what's your experience? But they, 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 they change. They're always changing. Um, right. It right. really depends. I, I was just, I've just been reading uh, Chrissy Hines' memoir. And so right. it threw me back to a, a particular time in London, you know, right. probably the time I arrived there. Right. Um, and thinking of my, my, my introduction to Susan the Banshees, which would be Kaleidoscope, right. which had an array of other people playing guitarist Steve Jones from the Sex Pistols, John mm. McGeoch. Um, but it was probably the album after that where we felt like a band, proper, 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 proper. Um, and that contained, in fact, both of answers to both those questions. So it would be Juju, which was just a great feeling, just a great feeling in, in the studio. I think it would be possibly what were high points to play. And don't forget, we, we didn't have that many songs at that point. Right. And so I, having been involved in just two albums and played the first two albums. So it's a long answer, but it would be night shift voodoo dolly. I think those two somehow would, you know, I think my answer would probably be voodoo dolly was a favorite because it, of all of the songs we played in that, those early days, it was the one that had the most uh, freedom really it could it could take us anywhere it could be extended it could be shift gears many times um so it really was uh, dependent on the moment it still had a structure it had a beginning and an end we knew where we were in it but all those parts could be slightly more flexible than probably any other song we did um so and I think that's the first half of the question. Second half is the same thing for tracks on the album, sort of like which ones did you like, which ones you didn't like. I think one that really challenged me was Into the Light. <laughs> I would play it differently now than I played it then. Yeah, I think that's the, the truth about a lot of things, isn't it, in music. You know, I listen to people... Uh, play songs that may be 40, 50 years old and they, they don't sound anything like they sounded on the first record or whatever. Yeah. Well, I was interested in doing lots of eighth notes, you know, with like my bass drum or the floor tom. It just mm -hmm. felt like the right thing to be doing. Now I'd probably half the number. And do yeah. a com combination some other way, suggesting that kind of thing, suggesting that movement, but not just like yeah, not not the the accuracy hi hats with you know one hand doing sixteenths. <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah. no, 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 very difficult. There was another part to the question, wasn't there? There was a part of yeah, it was about the same same question for albums. You know, which one did you really enjoy? Which one did you not enjoy? Oh gosh. It's funny, isn't it? And the one that I, I look back and think I least enjoyed, for some reason, superstition. But it's only to do with circumstances. 
it's not to do it's not to do with what the album or the music or the writing it's to do with the process well i suppose the truth is that uh you know what's that saying art doesn't exist in a vacuum you know if you're having a good experience of life mm. then you'll you'll have a good experience of the art you're doing at the same time, usually, you know, and uh, if you're having a crap experience of life, eh, then you could tend to think, oh, that was crap. Mm. And it might have been very good. You know? I, I think also the, 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 the other side of that is that, you know, vice versa. You, you could be having a bad time and yet producing great stuff, but you just don't think it is. Right. And that's happened to, to me a few times for and sure. And then yeah. looking back, you think, Wow, you know, we certainly yeah. did with, I think with um, Hyena, maybe not so much of Superstition, but with Hyena, we we just felt like it hadn't worked. Right. And and the press were sort of not so complimentary. Um, we, we probably read and believed the press too much. And, and looking back when we were probably remastering, going like, hang on, this is, this is really like a strong album. So it can be to do, you know, with the circumstance, with the, the other pressures outside, the, the speed at which you had to come up with the goods. What about you, Lol? What about you? Um, what about me? Well, I have, I have a couple. There's two songs that I really enjoyed playing live drums, and then there's a song that I really enjoyed playing live keyboards, uh, but for different reasons. So uh, All Cats Grey I enjoyed playing live because – it's quite a sort of mantra of a beat for me to play. And once I could get into the correct uh, timing for it, it would become very soothing to me to do. And, and you know, it holds the whole song together because there's only, you know, three of us. And if that falls apart, everything falls apart. And, and I was happy that most of the time it didn't fall apart. Mm. Very rarely, very rarely did it go skew whiff, as they say. Uh, so I enjoyed playing that, and I that was quite hard to do at first in the studio. But then live, you know, I found a way to do it live that uh, would make it work, and I was happy with that. And and then the other one was a song off of Pornography uh, Cold because. I love the thundering of the beginning, you know, just bashing in like, and I love that. And, and, and it has a great line to come into the song. So um, I enjoyed that on keyboards. Hmm. I actually enjoyed playing push, not for the keyboards. It wasn't for the keyboards. It was for the lights because um, I don't know if you recall, there was a point where nobody had those, very lights you know that flashed yeah. all over the place right yeah, yeah but then suddenly we had a big box of them and at, at the beginning of of push there's there's sort of like a long entry and then just before robert starts to sing there's this sort of big breath and a, it's kind of like you know when the sea comes up to the front of the the beach and then it pulls back and you you hear all the sort of like the shale and everything getting sucked out to sea and then this big wave comes crashing in. And that's what he did with the, the very lights. And I loved watching that every time. You know, it was just like, I knew it was coming. The first tour, the audience didn't know it was coming. After that, they kind of knew it was coming. But the first time to watch their faces as they were sort of like, 
Whoa. You know, he swung his head out at that point um, to look at all the, the lights going over the top of the heads and then <laughs> swirling around in them. You know, it was, it was kind of magical. So I like that one. Um, albums to do. Back to that question of, uh, you know, having a bad time but making some good album. Mm. You know, that was very true for, like, Faith and pornography you know they weren't you know the most jolly of times for either any of us but um i think actually i'm very pleased listening back to it years later with what we did and then there were albums that were hard and difficult to make that are not my favorites like you know i i i kind of listened to kiss me and it's very long it has a lot of songs on it and I like a lot of the songs individually, but as a whole album, um, it, it's, it has a, a lot of memories that are not great. So, you know, I, yeah. I, I don't sort of think back to it and go, oh, that reminds me of here and that reminds me of then. You know, I think that's that's true of a lot of stuff that you, you do, you know, artistically. If you don't feel happy or connected, you have to have something that's really good as well. Uh, because you know, if you feel happy and connected, you usually turn out something that's mm. good. Good, but but if you're not happy and connected, and it's sounding bad, and you're sounding bad, and everything's sounding bad, and life is sounding bad, then you're probably going to end up with something that sounds bad. So, <laughs> you know. And that happened a few times with the Cure, where we would walk into the studio, and after a week, we go, "Yeah, no, we should leave now and come back later because it's not going to work." I mean. We, yeah, we did that with some uh, singles. I, if I think correctly, before we did the walk, you know, we had been in the studio for a little while, and for same studio that we ended up recording the walk in, and we were there for about a week, and we did all the usual things that we thought would make it come alive, like call up Julian's hire and let's get the uh, Latin American box. Yes, okay. So we get all the the funny things to play, you know, yep. and, um, and then, and then call, um, uh, get them a steel guitar. Right. So Robert had to go with the steel guitar and we were sitting there for about a week, you know, and then we're like, this is crap. Let's mm. just, let's just go, you know, and we come back later and we do something. So you, you know, you have to be, it's kind of like, what's that saying? You know, most, most of it is, is 99% perspiration and 1% inspiration. But so you have to do the work, but you also have to be aware of when, you know, you're working against yourself. I think. You know. Curious Creatures is created and presented by Lol Tolhurst and Budgie. Producer, Joe Wong. Producer and audio designer, Dan Didier. Executive producer, Mark Cates. Associate producer, Sophie Wilde. Digital marketing, Margie Taylor. Art and logo design, Justin Thomas Kay. Music production, Jack Knife Lee. Curious Creatures is on the web, and you can access us at www.curiouscreaturespodcast.com. And you can reach us on Instagram and Facebook at Curious Creatures Official, Twitter at Cure Creatures. To find more of the best music podcasts, visit doubleelvis.com or follow at doubleelvis on Instagram or at doubleelvis on Twitter. Curious Creatures is a production of LXB LLC 2022.